Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm glad that you have joined us today. I hope you had a good week. It was a very hot week for sure, but hope you had a good week. I did enjoy hearing a lot of different feedback from last week's message, even those things that may have been distracting to you within a message about distractions at time. Um, I loved hearing hearts that we have for the lost that are around us and just our prayers that continually go out for them and what we're doing about those things, how we want and desire to be the hands and feet of Christ, to take the good news out as we live our lives. It's encouraging to hear those things as we went through some very hard realizations. You know, I don't think that today is going to be any different in terms of the hardness based on the type of topic that we're going to be speaking on, um, but I think it'll be good as well. You know, today we're going to be continuing and kind of finishing up this series on the gifts, and we're going to be talking about how Paul desires for us to be built up through worship. Last week, our focus was being built up with the Word, and you know, as we're dwelling on this this passage and we look at the emphasis of the word last week and the emphasis of worship this week, you know, you can't help but think of how this was the first Sunday of the month and we included communion. Um, I think of the songs today. You know, I don't know if it was Michelle's doing because Dave wasn't here last week, but Come Thou Fount as the first song. I just, I heard that. I'm like, that's kind of funny based on what we talked about last week. You know, you think about the type of worship that we have, you know, continuing the celebration of life of James Felton with all the flowers that are around the church. It was a beautiful service and time of fellowship yesterday. But, you know, this morning we're going to enter into this second part of 1 Corinthians. We read through the whole thing last week so that we can have context, but we're going to focus in uh, on the second part. And if you have your Bibles, you can join me in chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 26 and read through the end. In verse 26, it begins What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there, only, let there be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it for, from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones that it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are the command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, 
but all things should be done decently and in order. Father, I just ask that you would quiet our hearts and minds, that you would take away the distractions that we have going on, and we can focus in on your truths. Lord, just give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we've been going through this series, we've covered a lot of context. We've seen a lot of the issues that Paul is addressing to this church in Corinth. And he is addressing a lot of it in the form of an admonishment, which means correction. Correcting in the way that they're thinking, correcting in the way that they're living their life, living out their faith. And he's wrapping up this section of these three chapters that we've gone over um, today with this building up through worship. He's focusing on their times of worship as a body. So he's building off of the gifts that we had just talked about with the understanding that the Spirit works through the body for the sake of the glory of God and that each person will have something to contribute. So a principle that he is trying to convey to them is participation. This would be a basic assumption that he has, that whenever they're coming together, it's not just one or two, it's not just the men, but everyone would be participating. Everyone does something. He then starts off this section uh, by giving some examples. This is not a legalistic code that they have to adhere to, but just some ideas, you know, one or two, at most three share in this way. And he's just giving them some ideas of worship. Each one can bring a hymn or a psalm to be shared, as it says in the Greek, a lesson or a teaching of instruction, a revelation. So this would be kind of like an aha moment, perhaps, or an experience from God this week, or a prophecy, a tongue, or an interpretation. Now, when I looked at the Greek this week, that was interesting for that term interpretation. It is the Greek word for hermeneutic. And that just means simply to explain scriptures. So you would have this time probably during the weighing of the prophecies that you are explaining the scriptures, you're explaining the prophecy, you're explaining the tongue. You know, through this participation, there would be worship. It wouldn't be competitive. It wouldn't be trying to one-up each other. It wouldn't create disorder or chaos or confusion. Paul's desire is to bring the body together to, to share their experiences of God, their gifts, their insights, in order to share them with one another to build each other up, to grow the body. And you think about this for a moment, and the church of this age, the church that's within this context, you know, they might have had a few itinerant preachers, they might have some missionaries that come in, the apostles might visit every now and then, but there is not a full-time staff they don't have the latest book written about church multiplication and worship order. They might have some of this type of instruction. They might have the scriptures to lean on. They have their experiences of salvation. They might have some writings from some, some of the apostles. But they're coming together, each person bringing something, similar to a potluck. Shameless plug to bring some food for the potluck next week. You know, they're coming together to worship God. You know, it's very different from organized church services that we see today. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the, well, you're a pastor, you only work one day a week, right? Or my favorites, um, well, you're the pastor, 
we pay you, so you do all of these things. You know, if you have that mindset, my response is, stop paying me. Just don't pay me because I'd rather see you come together as a body and serve one another than pay somebody thinking that, okay, I'm off the hook. We pay this guy. He can do it. You know, that misses the point of this teaching of being the body. And when it comes to money, um, when it comes to tips or things like that, I tell this to my kids. I tell this to the youth group. I tell this to myself. I live by Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do you guys know what that says off the top of your head? Mm, you should remember it. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But instead store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you see what Paul is striving for here in this description is a service that has everyone included. And this service is not a token type of service, like what we do at Christmas time where everybody signs up and we share our gifts. Or once a year the youth group takes over and they plan everything and they do everything. But this would be the th common thing, theme from Sabbath to Sabbath where they would participate in meaningful wor worship as people are bringing the gifts of the Spirit. And within all of this, Paul is stressing order. You can't just have everyone coming in at the same time, speaking and singing. But rather, there is order so that everyone can be built up. Remembering, that's the purpose, the edification, the building up of the body, as it says there in verse 26. Things to be done for building up. He then goes on in the next few verses with some instructions on tongues, on prophecy, and how to handle those things within the body. And notice verse 30. Verse 30, he says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. So we want to notice that there is room given for the Holy Spirit to intercede within the worship service. Now, this is going to be a little bit different from the other forms of prophecy. This could be times when you're weighing things, when you're weighing the prophecies that are being done, when you're weighing the word that's pre being presented, somebody gets a revelation at that time. Either way, Paul is describing something different here where he's giving room for the Holy Spirit to move. You see a huge dependence on the Holy Spirit within all of these three chapters when it comes to the gifts, when it comes to understanding love, when it comes to worship and being built up in the word and worship. And this is carried over to a flexibility within the service, a flexibility that oftentimes is lacking in churches today. Now, with me being the pastor and kind of in control of the order of service, I like order. I like having that control. But there's been many times that people come up two minutes before we start the service and say, hey, I want to do this in the service today. And I have to pause and think, okay, I have to talk, talk to this person, I have to talk to this person, I have to talk to this person, so that we can all be on the same page. Generally, we're okay with those types of things. But then you have a Sunday like today where we have communion as well. And that's another added element into the service. So it's harder to do it on a first Sunday of the month because time constraints. And you think about that phrase. So how flexible are we really? Because we get here at 10.30, 
on the dot most of the time in this congregation. <laughs> and there's an expectation to be done by noon. If you end before, we can accept that. If you go over, well, come on, pastor, you're pushing it. You know, we have this idea of church to be prompt. It just fits into our schedule. So do we really have flexibility for the Holy Spirit to break in? I think that we have gotten accustomed to perhaps too much order to the point that we're controlling what's going on or not going on. Now again, there does need to be order and there are times that no needs to be said. But we need to think a little bit outside of the box of what we do traditionally in church. You know, when I had the sign-up sheets up for over a month, one of the sheets said other ministry ideas. Most of you just kind of signed your name down, so I assume that you're just open to ministry ideas. But that was more so, what are your ideas? What are your thoughts? Different ways that we can serve. And I've had conversations with people over the last three or four months and beyond in some cases, and there's been a lot of different good ideas, you know, such as having organized greeters at the door that make the coffee. That might alleviate some of what Dave does here. You know, the last couple of weeks as he's not been here, there's been those moments like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the button I needed to push to turn on the microphone. Or, yeah, that's right. That fan didn't get turned on. Because we just take it for granted that the fans are always running because Dave does that. You know, you think about the different, um, some other ideas that had come up in the last few months. Um, you know, we have a lot of people here that love to draw. How can we incorporate art into the service? You have a lot of people that want to connect with teens, with our, with our youth, um, interest in starting a young adult's college age ministry, writing letters to those that are taking off to college, those types of things. Um, all of these ideas and more, you know, reading a call to, or doing the call to worship, organizing that, reading a creed, reading the Lord's Prayer, are different ways that we can get involved, different ways where we can share some of our gifts to bless others. And within all of these ideas, there needs to be order. There needs to be administration, cooperation, communication, so that we can build each other up through those times. And above all that, we see this area where we need to be flexible for when the Holy Spirit moves. And that can make us uncomfortable at times. But I think it's a good type of uncomfortability. Now, within that uneasiness, we also need to realize that there would be boundaries. You look at verses 27 and 28. Each person is taking their turn. So there is order. There is control of the prophecies that, uh, and what God has given them to share. They're able to stop and let others speak. Sometimes we can get an attitude of superiority and thinking that I have the best thing to say and I need to say it. Or we have this thing where we just feel like the Spirit's taking over us and I can't stop it and I just have to do this. I can't control myself. I have to share this right now. Well, here's a little bit more context for us in terms of what Paul is dealing with because that was the type of attitude that happened in the pagan temples where their prophets were swept away into a mindless frenzy and they lost control of themselves. So to this church, it would be an evidence of demonic revelations and not the Holy Spirit because God is in control. 
he is not a God of chaos and confusion, but one of peace and order. You know, as we are reading the scriptures, we can't forget all of these outside factors that Paul is speaking to, the things that the Corinthians would be facing, where Paul is, you know, talking to the Corinthians and the pagan religions that are around them, saying, look, your worship is going to reflect the character of the God that you serve. We need to have the worship be one of order and peace, not of chaos and disruption and confusion. So when we characterize how we're worshiping, we want to understand that we're representing God. The Holy Spirit does not compete with himself. People may, churches may, but God does not. And it's within this order, it's within all of this context that Paul says this in verses 33 through 35. Second half of 33. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their own or their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. All right, it's been a few months, but we're finally here. Such a delicate reading of scripture with I'm sure just as many uh, small intricacies of interpretation as there are people here. Now this is a hot button topic and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it to answer some of the deeper questions and thoughts on this this morning. But to start with we want to understand the context first. Understanding where this is written, where it's placed. He is directly speaking about confusion and disorder within the body. It's within the sections of giving prophecies in tongues within a service. And you think about um, all the things that it says there. When you give it just a straight read through and you take it away from the context of what he is talking about, it looks pretty harsh, doesn't it? I mean, how do you take that if you're a woman? seems like it would be difficult to hear. You know, maybe if you have control issues as a man, you can get some justification by passages like this. But how do we rightly understand this? How can we say that you are a valued member of our congregation if you're being told to be silent? How do we understand what Paul is speaking to and what's going on in the Corinthian churches versus our own context, our own cultures? Because it's obvious that we don't take this prohibition as an absolute because we have women that speak. We have women that sing. We have women that pray. So what is meant by this phrase? Now, as we dive into this, I figure we should dive in with both feet and add some more scripture. Because this one is often tied to 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, this is the same author, different contexts of what he's writing about. 
But these two passages are often linked together when we talk about this issue. And there seems to be an overall principle which seems to back up the thought that women are to remain silent, um, submissive, being saved by having kids. Seems fun. Let's look at one more for context, a little bit more directly. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 4 and 5. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. So only thing I want to point out from there, women prophesied and prayed. You want to be able to see that within the text. So there's difficulty in understanding what Paul is saying in both of these places. And when this topic comes up, sometimes our blood pressure can rise and we get defensive and we go to our sides without hearing anything that Scripture is saying. Perhaps you're a woman and you don't like it when a man says what you can and can't do. Maybe you're a man and you want to control and you use Scripture to do that. But on this topic, for most of what the Bible teaches, the the Bible describes roles and not abilities. The Bible is speaking to the proper roles while not diminishing abilities of people. And remember, here Paul is talking about an organized service. So who does what role? Again, we also want to keep in context. This is first century world. This is Greece. This is Corinth. Even though women, uh, when you think about first century women, most of the time they would be uneducated. You look through the Old Testament, women in the Old Testament took part in many things within the temple, except for the priesthood. They would do everything else. By the time that Jesus comes around, that idea, that mentality has changed to where most of the Pharisees would almost view it as a sin to educate women, especially in matters of Torah. This is why what's going on seems so revolutionary, so radical. So in a first century mentality, the Corinthian women were to keep silent if for nothing else, then people would think they would have nothing worthwhile to say. That was their mentality. But you throw in Christianity. You see the changes that happened through Christ. With their faith in Christ, women began to find this new freedom within Christ that they had never had before. You think of the stories of Jesus and how he treated women. Again, it would be considered counter-cultural. You look at Luke 10, the story of Mary and Martha. Where is Mary? At the feet of Jesus learning. That would be a no-no in this culture. That would be radical. That would be something that is not traditionally allowed. Paul is more concerned with the way women should learn. He's not arguing about this. He's taking it for granted. He simply says that they should ask their questions of their husbands at home and not disturb the assembly. He's advocating that women should learn. Again, revolutionary for this time period. But it should be done in order. So, where is the responsibility? 
Responsibility is on the husband to be the spiritual leader. Now within this, it also brings up this question of whether Paul is only then talking to married women in this section, perhaps allowing single women to prophesy and pray in the assembly. Um, I would say that that answer would be no, because especially in this culture, even if you're single, you would still be under your parents' headship and under their guise. It's one interpretation, but I try to stick to the principles or an overarching principle rather than trying to find different stumbling blocks. You know, when I'm trying to look for loopholes in Scripture, I find I'm trying to make the Scriptures say what I want them to say rather than looking at what they actually say. Now, we're going to come back to this responsibility point here in just a moment um, as we're trying to break down what this passage means and how to understand it. As I said before, there are so many different views that have been handed down in the past. A lot of the views tend to stir the pot at times. Um, But, you know, with this issue of women being silent and connecting it to how women should not teach men, for the most part, in our culture, in our conversations, it's, it tends to deal around women pastors. Thoughts about that. Here are some of the thoughts from scholarly people in the past concerning this passage in 1 Corinthians 14. William Barclay believed at this point Paul was not able to rise above the spirit of his age that said women should not participate in intellectual activities on par with men. G. Campbell Morgan and others regarded Paul's prohibition as necessary in view of the conditions unique in Corinth. So basically, this teaching is only for those in Corinth. C.K. Barrett and Gordon Fee believe that Paul did not write verses 34 and 35, but they were added in later. Whole nother can of worms. Harry Ironside believed that the occasions at which women could speak were different from official meetings of the church in which they were to be silent. David Lowry wrote that Paul wanted the married women whose husbands were present in the meeting to be silent, but that the women could speak if properly covered. Again, kind of dressing 1 Corinthians 11. S. Lewis Johnson seems to have felt that women could never speak in church meetings except when they prayed or prophesied. Anne Blampede said Paul told women to keep silent because they were violating the principle of order in the church, not because they were women. So they basically were using their freedoms excessively. Moffat, Wayne Grudem, and Thrall take the view that Paul never vetoed a devout woman from exercising, even at public worship, the prophetic gift which so many women in the primitive church enjoyed. They understood this prohibition to refer to the matrons taking part in the discussion or interpretation of what's been said by some prophet or teacher during the service. So basically, it's just that one part of the service where they're weighing the prophecies, the women were to be silent. So that's their view. Calvin took it to mean that while the necessity may arise for a woman to speak in public, she must not speak in a regular church service. So... Maybe we can begin to see why the intricacies of interpretation can create problems for our understandings today, as you see from these varied responses. 
As Paul mentions their praying or prophesying in 11.5, the rule against their speaking is not absolute. We see this in other areas of Acts. We see this even today in how we do church. You know, when we look at this scripture, we understand it not to be an absolute prohibition because, again, people, women sing, women pray, women do a lot within our body. Um, women have gotten up and shared from the pulpit under elder authority, which, by the way, is the official alliance position that a woman could teach from the pulpit under elder authority. That's the head covering at that instance. So, when we look at why there is such a problem within this text, it comes down to personal conviction a lot of times. Within this section, within the three chapters that we've studied, especially within chapter 14, a lot of times it's these two or three verses that get focused on, that get debated, that get argued. Again, completely missing context. I've always found when I'm hell-bent on something and I'm using just a few verses, and I'm not, I'm not actually taking in the context properly, and that distorts how I'm looking at this. The point that is consistent within the Bible is roles, that there is a created order found in Genesis and that there is a responsibility placed on the man to be the spiritual leader. You know, when we think about spiritual leaders, spiritual headship. For many men, it has not been modeled for them. So we don't know what spiritual leadership looks like. We struggle in those areas. We get defensive when it comes to what we might not be good at. In many of the conversations that I have, we use this verse, we use the First Timothy verse, to try to make people be submissive. We try to use these verses as clubs. We're very adamant about those things. But my question is, are we just as adamant? Do we have the same vigor to then teach Ephesians 5 and 6 in spiritual headship, understanding what the spiritual leader needs to do? Understanding that a wife doesn't just submit to the husband because he's the husband, but that there's a mutual submission under Christ. Or that the wife perhaps is living in a 1 Corinthians 7 mindset where the husband is an unbeliever and through her behavior, through her character, hopefully one day she would lead her husband to Christ. You know, men, we are not to be dictators or tyrants, selfishly pursuing our own desires, ruling in fear blowing up in anger, but rather we need to be spiritual leaders. So without getting defensive and perpetuating divisiveness on this issue, I want to be encouraging and I want to be proactive and ask just a few simple questions. Questions directed towards the married men, but teens or, or single men need to pay attention. If a woman is to remain silent in church because they're to be learning at home, what are you leading your wife in spiritually right now? As the spiritual head of your home, how are you leading? What book of the Bible are they reading? Who are the authors of the podcasts that they're listening to? 
do you know the spiritual health of your wife? What about your kids? There's been an obvious lack of male leadership in the church for the past 50 to 60 years. And we see that in the fruits of churches all around us. You know, I have the understanding that God's word will not return void. And women are stepping into the roles that men should be taking up as pastors, as spiritual leaders in their home, because it's not being done by men. Perhaps it's not the right role, but they have the ability. For our church, the sign-up sheets are a great example. Trying to get people involved, trying to generate interest, get new ideas, doing a sermon series on spiritual gifts. Two men signed up for serving. One is a deacon which can only be done by men. 18 different women signed up for various roles of serving. It's a one to nine ratio. To me, with this issue, the writing's on the wall. Women have a spiritual hunger and desire that's not present or at least not addressed in the right ways for men. And it's an issue. It's something that we need to be open about and honest with. It's something that we need to discuss. I mean, I don't want to come up here and beat anybody over the head and say, you need to serve, you need to do this, you need to do all of that. I mean, I would love it if there was a, dot, a desire, if there was a hunger, if I could come alongside and help people through things. But we need to communicate. And with a handful of guys, I have done that over the last few years, where I've discipled, where I've mentored, where I've taken more of a vested interest. But I can't do that with 40 guys. I can do that with a handful. So I need more godly men to rise up, to be mentors, to be disciples, to help bring up this next generation, to lead by example what spiritual leadership looks like in a home. To have the hard conversations. A spiritual leader is someone who sets the tone for their family. They will get the family ready for church. You know, you think about whether or not your kids see you reading the Bible. Do you read the Bible with your kids? Do they see you praying over them, for them, with them? Do they see you serving? Do they see you helping out those, living out these principles that we claim to lead? We need to instill these values into ourselves so that we can instill them into our kids because our kids are watching and they will pick up what we do and what we truly cherish and what we truly value. They're a lot more perceptive than we give them credit for. We don't need warm bodies. We need leaders. You know, the comment I always hear is, it's so great to see so many men in church, which it is. 
But is that all we're signed up for? Present, warm body, on to the next thing. Or do we want to develop our relationship with the Father? You know, I don't want to equate myself with Paul here, but when he says this in verse 37, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we know the truth as men. We know our shortcomings. We all have them. We just don't like to bring them up. We don't like to think how we've maybe failed for the last 20 years. But we have to understand that the Lord's mercies are new each day. And each day is another opportunity to live for him. Not getting down on ourselves, not getting depressed because that's where the enemy would want you. But rather resting in his grace. Being filled with his Holy Spirit. So within this sermon series, as individuals, as a church, we come to a crossroad where we can continue to kick the can down the road or we can make some changes. Paul gives an answer for us to start with these changes. He says to earnestly desire to prophecy. Translation, earnestly desire the word of God. It needs to begin there. Listening to sermons, listening to podcasts, listening to Christian radio, they're good. It's a good discipline to have, but it does not replace being in the Word of God. As men of God, we need to start there, and our families need to be right there with us. And we need to take those steps to ensure that we're we're fulfilling our roles. We have the word of God to guide and lead those that have been put in our care. We have the word of God to take us into a deeper, closer relationship with him. Men, we have been given a great responsibility. You know, even if you feel like you're doing good, we can always do more. We can always go deeper. And again, even if you feel like you have failed completely, God's word does not return void. Start now. Invest now. And it will pay dividends in the future. Even if your wife is leaps and bounds ahead of you spiritually, be invested to take this role seriously. Because what it does is it shows, I love you enough to care about your spiritual walk to know what you're learning. I know I love you enough to take my role seriously. And it will trickle down from the kids. You know, as I've shared this before, I think of our faith a lot of times as like a three-tiered fountain to where many times we neglect the top tier, which is you and God, where you have to be invested in that part of your relationship. And then that trickles down into the other areas of your life. You know, if you cut the water off from that top spot, then your marriage, which is the second, second rung, is going to go dry because you're not infusing any of the spiritual life into it. The living water, which is Christ, needs to be the centrality of your marriage. Not the type of house you have, not your jobs, 
Not that I have a trophy wife or a trophy husband. Christ is the center. That's what it needs to be. So your relationship with him needs to come first. And then that trickles down into the other areas of your life. You know, Paul's desire is for the body to have a worship time that is edifying. Where everyone's participating and where their spirit can break in. You know, you think of, even as a family, you think of your worship times that you might have. Where everybody can come together. Where everybody can participate and share stories. Where everybody can pray. Where everybody can read. For the purpose of praising God, worshiping Him as your Father, and building everyone up. Within all of this, we have to remember there is order. There are roles that need to be had. But through everything, our focus needs to be on praising God. Yes, we may have had some failings. Yes, we may have screwed up. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Continue on in the faith. Allow the Spirit to guide you on what to say and what to do. Because this is too important to just continue keep kicking down the road. Time flies. Kids are going off to college next week. You think about how fast our kids grow. You think about how much time we have with them. It's very limited. But we have an opportunity to make a tremendous impact based on the word of God, based on our worship of him. So I pray that we can take this role seriously. Let's pray. Father, as we contemplate hard things yet again today, I just ask that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves. That it's not a matter of trying harder and doing more but rather it's just resting in your truth, surrendering and submitting in obedience to what your word says. Lord, you have given us roles so that we can have an order, so that we can have less competition and infighting. But many times we distort those things. So I pray against selfishness in our lives. I pray that the Spirit would root that out and that we can repent of those attitudes. Lord, as we have perhaps done hurtful things, said hurtful things in the past, help us to realize the frailty of life. Help us to realize that, that this life is just a small blip in terms of eternity and we hold on to it so tightly. Father, I pray that we can hold on to you even more. Just give us a better perspective of those things. And Lord, when it comes to roles, when it comes to gifts, when it comes to church, I pray that our focus can be on the word and worshiping you rather than ourselves. we don't want to make it about us because it's all about you, Jesus. 
So I pray that you would give us a heart of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.